Welcome back to Inspired by Jimmy L, a platform that is used to inspire you to be the best version of yourself. Yes, I've been featured in Forbes. I have interviewed several account verified guests. I have even been a brand ambassador for a billion dollar company. But you know what, honey? You are my inspiration to keep this show going. We are not here pleading for ratings and reviews. We are here to encourage you. So please be sure to subscribe and share every single episode. Don't hold the opportunity to inspire someone else. Friends, let's have a deep and serious conversation. Conversation that is honestly well overdue. Um, Inspired by Jimmy L is going to take a, a different approach with this particular series. And um, there's a lot of different things that's happening within the United States right now, politically and, and otherwise. And the country is divided. Divided into factions, into political stands, into religion stands, into lifestyle choices. We are divided, and it's very interesting. I'm hosting a particular podcast slash panel interview, and four amazing people agreed to come on to share their story as to what life is like within their skin. Just within the, the Black community, our different shades, it tells people to treat us differently within our own community. My mother never taught me to see color. She never taught me that that I was different in the regards of my skin tone. She didn't she didn't teach us that. It wasn't until last year, I think, going into 2020, um, that I was faced with something a little different that uh, I'd never experienced before. And I'm, I'm 34 years old and it took over 30 years <laughs> just for me to experience this. And so I just, I wanted to get the perspective of other people with different shades. At the end of the day, um, I truthfully believe that we are all in this together and every story is unique. Every story is uniquely told, but every story must be heard. I want to welcome these four panelists, um, learn from them, engage with them, but more importantly, be bold enough to ask the questions, to start the conversation within your own community so that you can open your eyes to see the blind spots that you've had for years. Ask questions. There are people right there in your own backyard, and you never knew what they were actually going through. I'll see you guys on the other side. And there we go. Thank you guys again so very much for um, joining the panel with me. I, and like I said a second ago, I, I'm not going to hold you guys, but I, I want to make sure that um, I at least explain this a little bit to you. Um, for starters, this is extremely a safe space. Um, this is, is not a platform for debate or anything like that. Um, these are literally your experiences, and I want to hear from you and what you feel that we can honestly learn from them, okay? Um, 
also, um, this is not just for you as the panelists, but also for the audience that will be listening at a later time. Um, these are our opinions. These are our facts from our experiences, from our own eyes. And so we're not here to try to defend our experiences in any kind of way, shape, form, or fashion. <laughs> so with that being said, again, I want to thank my panelists so very much for being on, Miss Antoinette, Miss Ashe, which I totally love that name, and Mr. Jermaine. Again, thank you guys so much for joining. So my very first question is actually for you, Antoinette. So how did your family um, explain race or color or skin tone to you? Was it a, a formal conversation or, or how did you become to know more about it? So the earliest experience I have with that is that I came home from kindergarten one day and I told my mom that I wanted to be white. Oh, wow. And I said this to her because I noticed that the white girls in my class, I grew up in Southern California, just for reference for everybody. So um, in most spaces when I was growing up, there were not a lot of other black kids. That's not to say that there were none, but there yeah. weren't very many. And so I think that at the time, my feeling was, I want really long, pretty hair, like all the white girls in my class. And so that was my basis for saying it. But when I said that to my mother, my mother responded with, absolutely not. Your blackness is beautiful. You need to love and cherish that. Um, so what started off as something that was probably pretty innocent for my little five-year-old mind, my mother made sure to, you know, let's, let's stomp on that right away and let you know that your blackness is something that you need to be proud of. And it's a good thing that she did because there was a lot of messaging throughout the 90s that would have made black girls feel like their blackness was not something to be cherished. And so yeah. I, that was the starting point with me and my family. I, that's when I, I am so, um, I'm really, I'm blown away from hearing that. And so Jermaine, I'm coming right to you in just a second. But same similar situation with me. I was also five. My mother is extremely light. My father is extremely dark. And I literally went to, to elementary school telling people that my mom was white and my dad was black. But I don't remember my mother ever telling me that, that I shouldn't believe that or this is what the reality is. And so along those same lines and same question, Jermaine, for you, um, obviously you have a darker skin tone yes, than yes, the yes. other panelists here, which is why I definitely want to come to you because you're reminding yeah. me of my father right now. Okay. But how did that conversation come up for you as a kid? Like, when were you first introduced to your skin tone? It's, it's, it's different. Yeah, so uh, you know, I, was, I was raised by my mom, and there wasn't never any, I guess, explicit formal conversation concerning colorism or anything like that. Uh, but I was certainly exposed to, to, to the, let's say, the consequences of colorism just by my peers. Uh, so. Okay. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of sort of, you know, pejorative terms that people would use with respect to being dark. Uh, so, you know, a, a lot of my peers would call me blacky and things of that nature. Um, oh, wow. And uh, so from a very early age, I was very much aware of my skin tone. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as a young child, um, you know, uh, I think the ideas concerning, you know, black being beautiful or having dark skin being beautiful, it doesn't have as much force when you're a child versus when you grow into adulthood. 
Um, and uh, and I think that's especially the case for 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 black men uh, because even within the media, uh, it's a it's a lot easier for me to let's say uh, 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 sort of make reference to people who are in the media who are sort of celebrities who are considered now sort of <clears throat> sex symbols or something like that. Yeah. So you yeah. Have, uh, Tay Diggs or or, or uh, uh, Morris Chestnut, etc. <laughs> uh, and so that, that that I think that bodes well for uh, black men, uh, uh, and I think that that has less of an imp- positive impact when you're when you're a young child. Uh, but you know, I, I think unfortunately, black women who have dark skin tones, I think their experience is a bit different because I think there are fewer dark skinned let's say, uh, female celebrities uh, who people can just sort of naturally rattle off in their mind and who are considered like beautiful sex symbols. Um, So I think my experience is probably a bit different than black women who 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 have darker skin tones. But just to answer your initial question, there wasn't a whole lot of explicit conversation with my mother concerning skin tone, at least, you know, trying to like affirm my value as a dark skin Um, uh, it's just sort of, you know, you know, just make sure you maintain a, a tough skin around people who aren't so kind when they're young. So when they're, and, and that I get, I, and just to yeah. add everyone, I think Kyle has just joined in with us. Hello. Hello. Kyle, um, hey. Welcome to the uh, platform here. We definitely appreciate you. Um, Thank Ashe, you. I I want to come to you really quickly with that question and I want to take it a little bit further. Um, have you experienced any level of discrimination in regards to your skin tone or your color itself now that you have entered adulthood? And if so, can you describe that experience? Okay. So I'm actually going to, I'm going to go back to, um, let me me just touch upon the the original question because that's going to be really when I learned. So, um, so my, my family, um, from the South, from they're from, from home of Louisiana, show them. And so in our family, we had, which is the beautiful thing about Blacks, that's the full range. My aunt was light, um, as they would say, damn near white. She had blonde hair. <laughs> my, my uncle was red, called bone red. Yeah. My mom was brown skin, so to speak. And then my, 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 one of my favorite aunts, she was, she was dark skin. So we had the whole realm, and it wasn't unusual for me to see that. And it wasn't, I had already experienced my, my, my aunt, the oldest, um, being perceived as white, and she was really clear on anything but. And it was always very interesting to witness that. So I grew up safe around, in, in terms of that type of colorism, so to speak. But, and so my mother was always like, you know, instilled from the very beginning, you know, we are Flemings, we are proud, we are beautiful. Y'all don't know what Flemings are, but if you were in that, that part, you would know. We are Flemings, and that's <laughs> what, our, what we did, right? Um, right. And then it shifted one day. And I just talked about this the other day. Um, what, my mother, when, when, it, when it shifted, were you still a, a kid or was it I am. Mm-hmm. So when it shifted, I was still a kid. So I was just talking about this the other day. I was about seven or eight. And um, my parents had a room. Uh, we called it the, the library, the study. It had all these books. And I was always welcome to go read. And I picked up the book, A Woman Called Moses. And I, it would just pique my curiosity because I had known about, you know, Moses in the Bible, who was a man, but who was this woman? And so I um, took the book, you know, took it upstairs and I read it that weekend. And I remember I came downstairs 
and I held the book up to my mother and I said to her, is it true what is what this, what, what the content of this book? And so first of all, I'm like, she's like, who told you to read that book? I'm like, you know, um, <laughs> and she said, yes. And I remember I just cried because it was hard for me to begin to articulate and I, and I couldn't process how one group of individuals could commit such atrocities against another. And what yeah. I said is that these people have sinned against us. And yeah. um, how, how is this possible? I said, you lied to me. I said, you mm. lied to me. I'm not mm. safe. This is not a place where I'm safe. And she was like, no, sweetie, you know, we cannot. But I said, no, there's no, where am I going to go? We are in this mm -hmm. state. We are in, as far as I know, you know, and of course, and, and, and that was my, 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 my heart broke at yeah. that time. Yeah. Fast, so a couple months later, I did a book report on it. This is when I really got clear about race because my teacher, I got to see she was really uncomfortable about what I was talking about. Um, I was the only, there's one only other black person in the classroom who was my best friend. Um, and people were just, you know, they were shifting in their seats and stuff and she stopped me. Um, first of all, she made me wait to the end because she knew what I was doing. But um she stopped me. She says, you know, you got an A, no problem. Don't worry about it. Well, I called my mother. That was what oh, I was about to ask. Yeah. <laughs> I called my mom. My mom came up. And this is where I, so not only did I realize that, but I began, they began to label me as militant. I was seven, maybe eight. Mm. And they said, you know, we're really concerned. that Ashe's becoming really militant. We're not really clear why you're allowing her to read these books. Because from there, I went to Richard Day. I went to Native uh, um, son, Richard Wright. Ashe, um, and so I don't mean to interrupt. I'm no, sorry. Go ahead. I just I just need to be clear on this. They were labeling you at seven years old as militant. Militant. I'm mm. never gonna forget that word. I'm never because well, I, no, I don't forget a word like that when you're seven. You know, I can never. Yeah. And so at seven, eight, I was labeled that. And yeah, my mother advocated, and and they didn't know. My mother came up. They they, they got to know Dr. Lightfield real well. Um, but even as my mother was advocating for me. And I know she, and no one else did anything. My relationship with my teachers changed because I became the militant, right? At seven to eight. Um, and I began to get really clear that first of all, that when I, because I did the book report because I wanted people to be alive to my pain, to be alive to the betrayal that I was feeling, to be alive to the injustice that had happened. So I'm thinking they didn't know, you know, seven to eight. Well, not everybody can know this mommy, you know? And, and they weren't. And so I got, you need to be quiet because it makes us uncomfortable that your voice doesn't really matter. And that, um, and if you don't acquiesce, then you, we get to label you. So I was at that school until eighth grade and that was in fourth grade. So that was, that was when I became really aware about my race. So uh, along the same lines, bringing that to your adulthood, um, obviously that one word has stuck with you. Okay, so obviously that there's some type of impact that's there. But here in 2020, are you still having to face issues like that? Yes, absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Oh, wow. I think that what, what is good is uh, for In Her Power, right? That's what I work with women of color leaders, is that what's great is that we create this space where we support one another in that, right? Yeah. And, um, and that we begin to unlearn behavior that we un sometimes unconsciously we don't know that we've embodied and embraced and claimed yeah, to be yeah. our ideology when it really isn't. 
But yeah, I mean, I'm a speaker now, though, so. (laughs) (laughs) So, so Kyle, I want to go back to that original question for you as well. uh, In regards to your first introduction to your skin tone. And, mm-hmm. and what that conversation looked like between you and your family. How how were you exposed to your skin tone? Oh, wow. See, honestly, me, I, I never really had to deal with that growing up. But I always knew it existed. Mm-hmm. So um, when did you first like, learn about it existing? Oh, I'd have to say when I was like maybe seven or eight. <laughs> mm-hmm. You yeah. know, yeah. Um, you know, you have different shades of black. You have light skin, you have dark skin. Then you have brown skin. Um, And growing up, I would always hear some people say, oh, I'm not black, I'm brown. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I just never really knew what they meant by that because, I, you know, I thought we were all black. But Mm. that's, you know, Mm. I had to, yeah, I was introduced to that at a very young age. Um, So, yeah, it kind of stuck with me. (laughs) I would would imagine. I would imagine. So, so Antoinette, I want to ask you about this, um, especially here, still in 2020. This was not originally a part of the uh, original portion or the reason or purpose for the panel, but I've got the accents all going on now. Um, <laughs> this whole issue, um, Antoinette, about these companies wanting to deal with more diversity hires and, and literally hiring people to control or administer their organizations for diversity how have you been impacted by this or have you been impacted by this? Uh, Yes, I have been impacted by this because I have more people who are, these are people who I'm both acquainted with and who I don't know, who are reaching out looking for guidance and, you know, some sort of, help us find a place to start sort of a thing. And, you know, I think that the reaction that all of us has to what the world is doing right now, some of it is virtue signaling, some of it is pandering, some of it, I mean, you can call it so many different things. And I really think it's up to the individual because, I mean, I don't know everybody at Zillow. I just know that Zillow doesn't have any Black people serving as C level executives or they might. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in the one sense, I celebrate that there are companies and there are people in positions of power who are at least able to recognize now that this is an issue and it needs to be dealt with more publicly, more visibly. Cause I mean, I can remember back in 2016, which it's, totally by, it's not a coincidence that that was our last election year for president too. I, I really do feel that a lot of this stuff is happening all because of that. But back to what I was saying, um, you know, back in 2016, I didn't see any companies willing to state publicly that Black Lives Mattered. Yeah. I didn't see them yeah. making any efforts to put any sort of Black people into their marketing and their, their messaging and imaging. So the fact that these things are being brought about now, I think that that's good. But I think that we have to be careful in how much credit we give people, simply because I'm not going to be satisfied with them taking a woman off of the pancake mix and letting people have Juneteenth off, you know, like that, that's cool, but 
we need more to to really you know get at uh, if you're if you're really looking to solve this problem, we need more than that, or at least I know that's what I'm expecting. And so, um, I've been trying to filter that into the messages, into the conversations that I have with people about working on diversity. Um, but I'm being very selective right now in who I will actually work for when it comes yeah. to that because. Mm -hmm. I think that it, and it's so, as, can we just agree that as black people, <laughs> we have so many hoops to jump through? Can we just, can yes. we all agree on that? I totally, I totally Hold agree. We, Hold we up now, so don't, don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I have to agree. Again. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying now, I'm, I'm like Ashe here. I'm like, I'm black, I'm gay, I'm living in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm like, I am married. I'm like, I when you talk about hoops, like, I, I feel like yes. I invented them. So honey, I, yes. Yes, I think we all can agree. <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, I, I don't like to come down on people who, like maybe somebody goes and takes that job as a diversity, uh, Maybe they're like VP of diversity or, you know, that's what their job is. I can't get mad at them because, hey, that's an opportunity at a great company, but it becomes so easy for that company to then use you, exactly. you know, as a pawn. And that, that's, the, that's the tough for part. Their, for their own hidden agenda. And you know what? So mm -hmm. even speaking of that, you brought up some really good things in regards to um, body image. And it's bringing me back to what Jermaine spoke about a second ago uh, and how the imagery of, uh, especially with dark-skinned, imagery of dark-skinned men are different from the imagery of women that are dark-skinned. And so still mm -hmm. along those lines of diversity, Jermaine, is there anything, is, is there anything or any way we could possibly support one another to try to assist and, and help the, the mass media or the world to kind of see us all a little bit more equally? Yeah. Um, I know it's a tough question. I yeah. know it's loaded. <laughs> I know it's loaded. It's on your face, man. I get it's it. Clearly, it's clearly a tough question. Uh, uh, I think to some degree, and you know, I'm not quite sure exactly how this would look, but uh, at least in principle, I think uh, I guess as consumers of media, we'll have to continue to advocate for, I guess, a more brighter, a broad array of skin tones in, 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 in the media. Um, and, you know, and I was making reference to, you know, the, the celebrities who have sort of been elevated as sex symbols. And it's sort of easier to think of dark skinned men or, or, or light skinned black women. Uh, and, you know, I mean, you've had you know, Whoopi Goldberg, but generally people don't, she doesn't sort of present herself as sort of like this, this sex symbol. And, and then, and then you have Lupita and, 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 and there's just, there's just not as many. And I think, um, so I think to some degree, and I think there's, I think we're actually moving in this direction. Um, uh, but I think we just have to continue to make our voices known concerning uh, what's, what's considered beautiful. Um, and, and, I think sometimes don't. I think sometimes people don't understand how a lot of sort of our, our perceptions concerning colorism are informed by a really dark history. Um, and you know, even you know, there's there's this book uh, titled uh, "Post Traumatic Slave Syndrome" by Dr. Joy DeGruy, and and she talked about how uh, you know even light-skinned slaves, slave women were 
they if, if a slave master was looking to buy a purchase of slaves, she was she was worth ten times more than than a, a dark skinned uh, uh, enslaved woman. Uh, so this is largely based on sort of a really really dark past, and and a lot of these these ideas have sort of been perpetuated into the future. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of you know just even in terms of the the sciences, um, there's been this idea that you know you're that sort of a person's value is sort of biologically instantiated in their skin pigmentation. And there's this, um, there's this biologist named uh, Carl von Linnaeus uh, who lived in the uh, 1800s. And he was, he's responsible for our modern sort of taxonomy system for animals. And uh, so you hear species and genus and, and phylum and things of that nature. Well, he, he extended that to, to humans. And he saw skin tone as sort of a, a proxy for, let's say, morality or, or even intelligence. And he had said something like um, uh, he called sort of white people. He deemed them that he did, he he conferred this uh, label to to them called Homo Europaeus. And he says, if you're white, uh, you're gentle and you're governed by laws. And if you're if you're black or what he called Homo Affer, he says, uh, you're cunning and you're governed by caprice and, and you're more likely to be violent and things of that nature. And I think those things still inform the way in which people think today. Um, yeah. And yeah. so I know there's, there's a really dark past that I think people need to sort of reckon with because I think it informs the way in which people consider or think about beauty or who's violent and things of that nature. And, and I don't think it's coincidental that a lot of the people who are, let's say, been the victims of say racially biased police brutality are dark skinned. Um, yeah. So you have, you know, George Floyd or, or Ahmaud Arbery or even Breonna Taylor, they're all dark skinned. Um, and I think to some degree, there's there's something about dark skin that's been villainized in a way. Um, and I think we're still dealing with the consequences of that today. We, we definitely are. And I, I will say that, um, um, I'm not trying to offend anybody, so please don't take it this way. But I was initially one of those people. I am I'm, I'm not dark, but I'm I'm a, a brown, if you know, want to say that. <laughs> and I'm like I always my entire mother's family line was always lighter, and I just I considered myself to be different, and and not necessarily better or worse, just different. It was more like I don't fit in on this side, and I don't fit in on this side. And it wasn't until um, I was married to a biracial man that I really realized how dark I am. And then when we are together, how we are completely treated differently. Um, and we went to Chicago um, earlier or last year, which actually prompted wanting to have this particular conversation because things that happened up there did not, has never occurred to me whatsoever. Um, I've literally grew up in a, a colorblind home. Like we did not see color that way and so it is especially now with what's going on here in 2020 it's like a whole new freaking conversation mm -hmm. and i think that people like myself and and even you all we need mm -hmm. that education and um, we're mm -hmm. here within the same damn community we live in our own damn bubbles and all we know is what's in our immediate circle i have mm -hmm. no idea what jermaine has gone through or kyle has gone through or antoinette or ashe unless 
I have the fucking conversation, you know, like right. I have to ask the <laughs> questions and, you know, I just have to. And so Jermaine, you brought up in regards to the victims of racism. So Kyle, I'm going to go to you with this particular question. Okay. So number one, I said all of that to, to kind of set myself up for this. <laughs> so very first question is, oh. Kyle, have you ever considered yourself to be racist? Number one, while oh, you're thinking goodness. about that, I know, while you're thinking about that. Oh, you put me on the spot. With, I, yes, I am. I'm going to give you a second to think about it now. You only got a second. So okay. number one, have you ever considered yourself to be racist, whether to the colors or the shades within your own community or even other races? So number one. And okay. then secondly, a victim of racism. How can we possibly, um, how can someone that has been a victim of racism overcome that pain? Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, so That's number one, one, racist, <laughs> racist. I want to know. I want to know. Number one. Ooh. And I say, um, I know you're quiet over there, but I'm coming to you next. <laughs> oh, oh boy. <laughs> okay, so number one, number one, I have not considered myself to be racist, um, mainly because growing up, my mom and my dad always taught me to treat each other with respect, treat the other person like you would want them to treat you, regardless of, uh, what, regardless of what color their skin tone is or what their race, their race, nationality, sexuality, religion is, regardless. You know, those are some moral values that my mom and dad instilled in me growing up. And they, they pretty much still in, enforce that in my mind today. <laughs> Even though I'm almost 30 years old, that's, that's something that they still, <laughs> that's something that they still, um, you know, put in my mind today. Um, now to answer the second question, uh, you said, was I ever a victim? Of not necessarily you, not necessarily mm -hmm. you, but um, putting yourself in the shoes of a victim of racism. How do you believe that that particular victim can overcome what has occurred to them? Oh, wow. Um, honestly, I don't, I don't think they can overcome it because if you think about it, um, I, you know, I know people like Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, uh, Thurgood Marshall, and, and all of these other uh, African Americans, they made a difference. Yes. Um, and, you know, there is some diversity in this world today. However, um, I think that there are still uh, people who are set in their ways uh, and they still like to target those who are a certain skin color or a certain race. Yeah. So I just think the best way, I think the, well, I think I'll take that back. I think the best way to overcome it is to educate them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree. I definitely agree with you on that. Again, I just, I, you guys are educating me now. On, on <laughs> so I, I, I definitely, I definitely do appreciate that. So, Shay, I'm coming to you. So, very first question. <laughs> have you ever considered yourself a racist or of, of any shade within the community or any other race? So, I am, I'm, 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 I'm going back to my earlier high school days and in college. So in high school, I ended up going to uh, convince my mother to let me go to the public school, Berkeley High. We had the only African-American studies department in the country. Still do. Okay. 
And then I went to Berkeley where June Jordan was still there, Julie Malvo were there and everything else like that. And so I bring that up because they were very adamant that racism is more about the systemic powerness and economic power that one group has over the other. So therefore, we are, we, we really cannot be racist, we can be prejudiced, but we cannot be racist. <laughs> and I remember when a student said, well, you know, black people are racist, and uh, Julian, Dr. Julian Malvo, she's like, oh, sweetie, have a seat. And she got <laughs> teaching and talking about how that was not possible in this country. And, and I remember at that point, I'm like, oh, you know, because I was, I, I was like, oh, you know, can we, you know, I think we all can be racist. And she's like, no, how it's set up? Mm -mm, no, until we get equal power, economic, socially, all of that, then it's not. Now we may have prejudices, okay? <laughs> and that's different. Now, um, so, so, and so I, and I agree with that. I agree, and we see that, because that's just that, that racism. I know we use that word casually and we throw it yes. out. Yes, right, but I really want to clarify that um, racism is about those who are in dominant power. We look at it, even even um, if we look at what it really means um, from a historical, economical point of view, it's different. Now, have I been prejudiced? Um, I've had some prejudice fatigue. I'm gonna call it that. <laughs> um, I lived in uh, Buenos Aires for three years. I was the only black person that I saw, and they had their own. Their own practices, like they see a black person, they want to rub you for good luck and all this other stuff. By the time I came back to the States, I was tired of white folks. I'm just going to be real clear. I was tired. Tired. Oh, wow. I was like, I don't want to see, I don't want to talk, you know, because being three years in that place and navigating that type of uh, behavior, you know, um, I went to Brazil and that made it all better. But still, um, by the time I got back, I was just, I was weary. I was absolutely weary of that. So I, I have had it where I, I don't even want to, mm -mm, no. I need you to so, go read a book and learn, <laughs> come back and have a conversation. That's just where I was. So Asha, I really want to hear your answer to that last question as well um, in regards to putting yourself in the shoes of a victim of racism. Like, if, I mean, obviously you've had your own uh, traumatic experience, but is it something you feel that a person can overcome? So if I'm, if I'm putting that, overcome that person's racism or overcome my reaction to it? Overcome your own. Because as a victim, okay. anything that happens to you, it, it stays with you. It, it, mm -hmm. it changes you. It alters mm -hmm. you to a degree. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really curious to hear your opinion of mm -hmm. whether or not a person can overcome what has, has occurred to them. Mm -hmm. I, I have to say yes, because I think we can look at history and see that that's what we've done. If we were to look at how we've been treated, how we've been mistreated, how we've been dishonored, all the lynchings and killings and murderings and rapings and just da 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 right? Mm -hmm. All of that in our history. And then we come, we look at how we are, in many ways, still, just still having building relationships, our friendships cross color lines. So can it be? Yeah, that's evident in that. We've, we've demonstrated that. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because my, my grandmother would always talk about, and, um, about when something would happen, and she would go to a certain place to, you know, to look beyond and look broader and stuff like that. I remember my uncle, like, you know, sometimes I'm tired of that. Like, I get tired of always having to be that one. Um, but I have to say, I think that collectively as a, as a, a race, we have done that. I think one of the videos that was, um, that went viral when the sister was saying, you know, y'all ought to be lucky. We're not for revenge. We just for equality. 
And so we have overcome that. It doesn't mean we don't have mental side. It doesn't mean we don't have um, the effects of the racism. It doesn't mean any of that. But we definitely have demonstrated our resilience, our even our willingness. And even if we don't want to say even our forgiveness, a level of, of collective forgiveness that we've had historically to move forward and move through. I love that. That's why I had to ask you. I want to hear it. <laughs> I just so I I feel know. so educated. It's like, I know. I'm telling yes. you. And so, I, first off, I cannot thank you all enough for agreeing to come on. And I, I'm going to ask you all one final question. Um, and I'm going to come around to everyone. Kyle, I'm going to start with you. Um, okay. If we can learn anything from this entire conversation, um, in way in, in regards to being able to bridge those gaps because there's a lot of different gaps here um, um, you, you brought up something earlier today in regards to um, just the different shades within our community um, we're not even going to talk about sexual orientation or political views there's so many different gaps within our own organization our own cu cultures I should say how can we bridge some of those like if we've learned anything today or even something you've heard somewhere else in your opinion, how can we bridge some of those gaps? Bridge some. Honestly, it would have to go back to what I said earlier by sitting down and educating those who are not open-minded to change. Um, I feel like the reason why they're so closed-minded is because they don't know. Um, so I feel like if we sit down and educate them on, hey, the different shades, about racism, you know, I feel like they'll have a, a better opinion than what they have now. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with you on that. Uh, Shay, same question, like, how do you feel that we can bridge some of those gaps or even start the conversation to be able to bridge those gaps? So, for me, I feel like it's, it's really working with, within our own culture, our own community. And so I said, remember I said, I work with women of color leaders. Well, that's part of our conversation. That's part of the dialogue that we have. And that as we begin to heal that and, and, and really begin to look at the history so we understand how we have adopted behavior that really is not really our origin. Um, there's a, a quote that says that power is creating a belief system and practice and then getting another group to practice it on their own while mm -hmm. thinking that they have owned that and created that. That's power. Mm -hmm. yes. And that's exactly mm -hmm. what has happened. We have adopted a practice and ideology by a group of white people. We've made it our own, have used it against one another, so they don't even have to do anything. That's real power. It's real slick. There is a lot of power. That is and a lot so of power. for us to start having that education and reclaim our own power, we redefine and really do not, not give that lip service, like, yeah, I'm gonna define my beauty, I'm gonna define, no. Are you really? Because I want you to have a real honest look at that. Like really stop and begin to really, really redefine what that means for you. And when we can do that, because y'all know we're powerful, we are sweet. Mm -hmm. We can mobilize around that. <laughs> Shit, excuse me, but she, you know I'm going to say back in the day. Shit. Oh, oh. I like her. <laughs> I love her. Oh my gosh. That's, that's my new best friend. <laughs> like seriously. Seriously now. Like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. 
Jermaine, same question. <laughs> How do you think or feel that we could bridge some of those gaps? Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a good question. I think... Uh, Jermaine, are you there? Yeah, can, can oh, you hear me? I think I think yeah there, I can go ahead go ahead there there are two um I think there are two main points of intervention I think there's a let's say a, a, an intra-racial intervention and, a, and an interracial one um, I think uh, amongst our own let's say racial demographic um, we do need to we do need to educate ourselves concerning um, how a lot of where where a lot of the beliefs that we have adopted came from uh, because to some degree. Uh, and to echo the point that 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 Ashe made, it's like sometimes we we become co-conspirators in our own in our own plight because we're carrying on things that sort of happened. We're we're sort of replicating our own trauma amongst one another, um, and and it's and we've sort of siphoned it off from history uh, concerning what's happened to us. Um, so I think I think that that's that's one. One intervention point that I think is really, really important, uh, and then two, yeah, I, I think there needs to be additional conversation across racial lines, um, because you know I think there has been this sort of this conspiracy to engage in this collective denial concerning what's happened to Black people in this country, and I think people are woefully undereducated concerning that, and you know, and I think, and I think a lot of what's happening now. You know, even through social media, with all the things people are posting about history, um, is people are realizing that whatever they were taught, let's say in their history classes in school, was this really sanitized history concerning what's happened in this country. Um, so I think pursuing truth is really important, um, and and because you know a lot of these kids, let's say if you're white, and you grow up in this in a school system where they provide you with this sanitized history. And you know, you become a politician, and it's like the policies that you actually enact are. It's just like it's based on in this in this sort of really sort of hackneyed sort of uh, uh, ignorant ideology, and it's like, well, you don't know anything, so it's like you start to put things in place that harm people, and it's like, and you you start to have a particular view of people that isn't really based in sort of fact and in history. And, and, and it's, it's like it can just end up, you know, perpetuating this really terrible, terribly oppressive system. Um, so I think educating at really every level, education at every level of society, I think, is, is a good way to sort of bring about that reconciliation that you're asking about. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, again, cannot agree more. Antoinette, same question, darling. How do you feel <laughs> we can bridge those gaps? So right now, what I'm feeling most inspired by is the fact that the world seems to be open to listening to the experiences of Black people for mm -hmm. what seems like the first time in my lifetime. I'm 36. Mm -hmm. So this is the first time I've ever seen this happen since I've been alive. And I like that. I like that more voices are being heard and so therefore more perspectives are being acknowledged when it comes to non-Black people. Mm -hmm. I would really love to see the Black community get to a place where we can acknowledge the different experiences of different Black people. <laughs> because yes. um, mm. Kyle, you were talking about how 
um, you were saying that we need to educate people on, you know, what different experiences look like. And I agree with that wholeheartedly, but the person who is being educated has to be open to that education too. Yes. They have to be open to accepting that there are different versions of what black looks like. <laughs> and because Ashe, you talked a lot about your family and I, I just have to make a mention <laughs> of that because that's something that I didn't have when I was growing up. Both of my parents are still married, but we lived far away from extended family. I'm an only child. I oh. mentioned earlier that I grew up in Southern California. So my experience as a black girl, very far removed from what it might have looked like if I had grown up in a place like Mississippi mm -hmm. or Alabama Florida. or Florida, where my father is originally from. And wow. so, um, but it seems like anytime that becomes, like anytime people notice that, the response that I've usually gotten is a lot of ridicule and a lot of, you know, pushing, pushing me away because I was somehow not black enough. <laughs> and I really would like to see us get to a point where we can get rid of all this black enough stuff because yeah. I think that as a collective, we have so much pain and so many issues. I see girl. so many issues and so many things we need to be that we don't need to be over here clubbing each other over the head with, oh, you don't listen to this music or you're not. That's not the point. Mm -hmm. Not right now, it's not. Let's let's get to an evil, even playing field first. And then maybe we can go into the nitty gritty with all of that. But I really just think yeah. that as black people, we collectively need healing. We collectively need safe space. We collectively need to be there for each other, especially if they're going to put us on. We can't be right. divided against That's each other if they're going to put us on, y'all. We got to get it together, okay? It's all right. showtime. So <laughs> that's what I think. Um, to answer your question, I think that's how we get past this, is, is Black people also acknowledging that there are different experiences within the Black community, and that's nobody's, that's yeah. not our fault. Right. It's our fault. Oh, I just, can I just say, because I, I grew up in Northern California, so I understand. I'm in, I'm in Oakland, but you know, the San Francisco Bay Area, so I, I, I absolutely get it. And believe it or not, y'all, they used to think I was a valley girl. I didn't know what a valley girl was. So I, I, I get that. And then I would go, I, I call. I didn't. But, and, but my family's from the South, so I would go there for the summers and stuff. So that's where I did get that education and I would come back. But I hear you on that. I absolutely 100% do. And, and since so many uh, Black, you know, had that, that great migration from the South, and yeah, you, we got to know that. That's part of our history, too when 70% mm -hmm. of Black folks have migrated from the South to California. Right. See, I, that is honestly a great place to end um, because it wraps everything up in regards to this entire panel and the whole purpose of it. We are all different. All of our stories must be told. And I love the fact that we all are different shades and we all have different experiences. And and I'm called that sticks with me every single day. If you feel like the weight of it is literally because you are silly enough to think that you are bearing it alone, we are all in this together. Um, so I want to thank my panelists. I love you guys so very much, like on a deeper level right about now. I feel more educated than ever before. 
Um, I will be reaching back out to you guys um, just to make sure that I stay in touch. I'm sure I got some more questions to ask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs>